Welcome to another Ninja Tune podcast, and in this episode, we're joined by Actress, who is interviewed by Dean Bryce. They discuss his latest album, Azid, which is out on Ninja Tune, the record label Work Disc that he runs, his recording process over the years, and some of the tracks that have influenced him. After that, we'll be delving into some of the new releases coming out on the Ninja Tune family of labels, including music from Kai Whiston, Nathan Fake, Bicep, Jordan Rakai, and James Heather. Don't forget, if you're listening in iTunes, then please rate and review the Ninja Tune podcast. My name is Dean Bryce and I'm interviewing Darren Cunningham, aka the one and only actress. So you've got an album that's out now, it's called Azid. You talk about R&B Concrete since you recorded Splash several years ago. What's the new sound on this new record? It is Azid, do you know what I mean? I, I look at the word Acid and whatever experiences I had with that. And that's what the words kind of become there, and it just so happens that the, the letters in my name, sort of, or my nickname, as I was known at school, sort of can fit into that. And to me, it's just that sort of different inflection on acid. You know, it's just a bit more sort of the the, the frequencies of sounds have changed in terms of what the composition of acid might be now I guess or in the future uh, and that's it acid would you say acid the acid sound is a is a, um, a part of the R&B concrete you were, you were working on is it completely different yeah no it's it's it is definitely like a, a, a byproduct of it like extracting like extracting the sound I'm interested in like um, elements and chemicals and extraction of things do you know what I mean if there's anything that I did excel at school it was sort of science so I tried to place that in the music as much as possible you could be lazy and define your music as techno because that's what it seems to be rooted in most of the time um, are you still influenced by the Belleville Free for those who don't know the Belleville Three are from Detroit, and that's one Atkins, Derek May, and Kevin Saunderson. Yeah, but they change all the time. So, like when I was younger, I would have been much more sort of like one Atkins, having still been listening to like if it, if I was making selections between the three of them, who was like the best. And then and then I listened to Innovator, and I just had that on repeat. And then I listened to Derek May's DJ mix. Uh, I can't remember what the DJ mix was, but it was something that was released on CD. And I, but I was listening to one Atkins DJ mix as well, and the two were just too sick, basically. 
So it was always sort of them two, and then I sort of leaned more towards Derek May. Uh, and then, but to be honest with you, the first record that I actually played at the three of them was a Kevin Saunderson like E Dancer. Uh, 12-inch that had like Carl Craig remixes on it and stuff like that. Uh, so actually, it was Kevin Sorensen who his records I first started playing. So it changes, it changes all the time. But yes, I am still influenced by all three of them and Detroit. And do you have any other current influences who are who are unexpected? People wouldn't really associate an actress influence. To be honest with you, all the, all the producers that are making music in my field and currently are influences, all of them, like there's not one direct, there's not one direct one, and I just see them as my contemporaries anyway, but outside of that I would say like, and it didn't directly influence this record necessarily, but it put me in a different headspace, it was Solange, Solange's new album. So that was very influential in a way. Uh, and along the way, uh, I've already mentioned like Fiore in terms of, in, from a glass, classical point of view. Um, but yeah, I was listening to, um, I mean, you can tell by some of the samples that I've been using, like sort of hip house and uh, sort of like, expansions you know move your body sort of thing you know these these were the things that were sort of informing the actual concept if you like you know what i mean and i just wanted to sort of uh, you know extract a different sort of parallel to it you mentioned solange there actually that's one of my records of of last year as well that's a very political record I wonder if you've ever touched upon any political themes yourself in your in your own music. I mean, it depends. I don't really look at it so much as a political record, really. Uh, I try to just look at it as a as a body of work, and um, it's very very powerful album for someone like Solange to do an album like that. For it was very uh, showed a lot of showed a lot of bravery and that's what I respected about it more than anything, more than any of the sort of political, uh, you can only, you can only respond to what's going on in the world around you, do you know what I mean? That's it and, and, and that's what she did I don't, and that's why I don't really see it as so political, if you know what I mean. First EP came out in 2004. That was No Tricks. It had tracks like Crossdresser on there. You had Mincing on Hazyville. And you often work in themes of focusing on ambiguity and androgyny. And I think in early interviews, very early interviews, you were referenced actress as a she. And what are your thoughts on um, exclusion in dance music, especially when it, a lot of it stems from often gay, often black fringes? Well, uh, the only 
day and so I can think about stuff like that is I don't think about it so intentionally all the time. It's not something that occupies occupies my mind as like a as a as a solid theme, if you know what I mean. I think at the time when I, when I chose chose that's the name that I've been making music under. I, it was recognisable to me that there was so few women on on the circuit, and uh, and I think I, I but but I but I also recognised that the, they did exist. You know, I had you know Ten Inch by Kelly Hand, uh, The Roots. It's just like one of the best records like that's that's come out of Detroit. Do you know what I mean? And um, um, and then there was, you know, there was people like Andrew Parker and Mira Kalik, certainly when I was just sort of starting to do uh, my thing. Uh, and that was about it. And then if you kind of look through, like, uh, uh, the sort of, like, jungle, I guess, um, DJ rap, and chemistry, stomach chemistry. And, you know, there's all kind of... There's always been, but not for for um for but for my world, for what I was doing, there was not enough at all, uh, and and I could say the same for 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 people of uh, of colour as well, you know. Um, so these 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 things were already in my mind, and so I wanted something which wasn't, I you know I never really wanted to sort of like show myself off necessarily. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, but I wanted to sort of, I wanted to showcase what I did, you know what I mean? And I thought the best way to do that was to do it with a really ambiguous name whereby everything was, everything was sort of contradictory, if you know what I mean? And, uh, but the music is flight as fuck, you know what I mean? It's like, this is dope or, you know, and this is just me feeling it. That's when I was at my sort of like, I'm so fascinated in this because the way that it's coming out just sounds sick to me. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, uh, and in terms of like, it's about character as well. Do you know what I mean? You don't, music's always had like characters and people are willing to express themselves. And uh, I felt that was quite lacking as well. And uh, now with the sort of transgender things, you know, there's like freaks, you know, it's a freaky sort of like, um, freaky cosmos of like where the music's coming from, where it has, what it's been, where it's going, what people want to do with it, you know. I wanted to take it much more than art read. Less the art performance, but much more just sort of, just sort of like, the, if I was a painter, this is what I, this is what I would make. And so the performance aspect wasn't really so much in my mind, if you know what I mean. But uh, but because I started like hanging out with a few performing artists and whatever, it's given me a bit more of a different, uh, or at least given me some inspiration of different things I might be able to try out. You know what I mean? So, yeah. You mentioned you've, been, you've always been free um, as an artist, and even dressing up as Tina Turner when you were a kid, you've always been free, and you didn't really see any boundaries as an artist, it was all about self-expression. Does that, does that still exist? 
I like having a laugh, to be honest with you, which is mostly where that comes from. I like, you know, I especially like making my mum laugh. So when I say I was dressing up as Tina Turner, I just used to put on the stilettos and do my Tina Turner dance for her to crack her up. So it's much more sort of like, and, and like I said, you know, I'm, I come from a sort of like football background, lads in the dressing room, with banter, like pretty sort of like crazy banter, you know what I mean? So I have that in me, naturally. Uh, but and I, but I do need to find those moments where I just sort of switch off and just actually focus. Yeah. Actually. Work discs. Yeah. Uh, very first work release was Work One. Had Mentor by actress on there, and also several other producers who disappeared. Who were these guys? Like I've, I've never really heard again of of Mister um, Lizard or Ben Kodak. Uh, they're just the sort of the like the justice department of like what manifested what I do. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but. We, we, we were doing it for fun, do you know what I mean? It was only really me who was taking it, like, running with it as to say, like, this can be, like, I feel like this, we were, we were actually doing some really cool stuff. So, anyway, that's how the, the first record came about. Um, but, yeah, all those guys are mates, you know, they, uh, especially, like, Ben Kodak, he sort of helps me out with a lot of, um, a lot of, like, uh, troubleshooting and a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of Ableton stuff um, and just general sort of like coding and things like that and he went to the name um, Coder uh, so so I, and you know Mr Lizard is, is somebody who definitely in terms of like starting club nights uh, took the edge off it in terms of like the sort of um, this sort of lesser seriousness that we wanted to bring to it, you know, it was that sort of uh, we wanted to be in those in between zone where we wanted to take it seriously, but we wanted to also be fun and creative, and and actually give you a buzz. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, um, it was great because it was just sort of us just like messing around with sound ideas and electronic sound ideas at that particular time. After you put out Mentor and well, the Work One and the No Tricks releases, there was a four-year space between that 
and Hazyville. So were you working in music in between that or were you rediscovering the actress sound? I was redefining, I was, yeah, discovering, discovering, redefining and rediscovering that what the actress sound was going to be. That's quite a long time, four years, to be studying a sound after putting out music, which was probably was good in, in the first place, it was good enough in the first place. Yeah, I just wanted an aesthetic. It didn't really have an aesthetic for me. Like, the, the, the first bit of music was just sort of like, uh, very instant, straight out of the computer, and that's it, not gonna sort of, you know, you're gonna do it that way. And then, uh, but it didn't have, it didn't have, there was this, an aesthetic that I think came from working with the Groovebox 303 quite a lot. It had this particular sound to it and this particular low fineness to it, which, uh, which I was being sort of drawn to. Like all the percussion was a bit woody and a bit more sort of like um, ethnic in a way, I guess. Do you know what I mean? There was just that sort of like, that sort of, uh, a bit more of a sort of primitive feel about it. And that's sort of the line that I wanted to go down, but I wanted to place it in a, I wanted to give it an environment. I wanted to give it a space. I wanted to give it like a time. Um, and I wanted to give it like some sort of narrative or some sort of autobiographical narrative about music, my music making. And uh, but um, I felt like the only way that I could translate that was to really sort of um, work with a sort of slightly low and out of reach palette. You know what I mean? Which hinted at influences house, techno, uh, electroacoustic, classic, into this, into that. And I think because, you know, reggae, uh, soul, uh, you know, different tempo, you know, you know, in this room. So, so that's kind of how I wanted to put it, put that out. And that's why it took so long. With Hazyville, you've mentioned that, that it's a it's a work from various old computers that have been spliced together, various old projects which you found because you had machines that have died. That was more for like uh, Splash and, and later albums. Hazyville was was um, was off one computer. I had one. I had, I had one computer for, for Hazyville, so everything was on that computer. And you're learning with um, different bitrate samples and creating layers. I mean, Hazyville is probably the only album where I've actually, you could say, placed every sound, placed and made every sound individually, um, over a, a very concentrated period of time. So I'm talking like, I'm talking like every day, you know. So, uh, and my music making is much more sort of disparate these days. It's, n it, it's never, it's never been to the, it's never been at that point where that's all I'm doing. Just literally just signing into the computer on this sound. 
every day. Uh, that's why I was kind of attaching this R&B concrete to it because it was a sort of concrete composition over a very long period of time. before that the creative process is um is draining and difficult i've read that in a couple of interviews almost on like you're purging something out of you is that still the same a lot of it depends uh mostly it can be sound sound related the type of sounds that you're working with uh but this one this one is kind of the most uh sort of uh precise sound work that I've done really, just in terms of like the placements of sounds and you know it's off that it's off that sort of whereas Hubble and um, tracks like even Lost, the components stick together, do you know what I mean? They're made in a sort of like way which they kind of, they're quite stuck together, whereas this one, you know, is kind of in between that. Do you meditate or anything like that? I'm asking because um, if you ever get that feeling you're in the studio and it's about the process of being deep into what you're doing, that ultra concentration where you feel like you've almost, it's playing for you, or the song is making itself. Yeah, I have those moments at different times. Um, I can remember a clear moment where I was writing um, Ghosts of a he uh, Heaven. And that, I think that was, that was a track where I felt like I had everything like under control and settled and like I just had to switch things on and it it would, it would just work. And um, but the more you sort of change things, uh, then obviously you're changing the rhythm and and, and, how, and it just takes a period of just working and figuring stuff out and finding the most comfortable conditions where you can kind of reach those moments. Certainly on, certainly on uh, tracks like um, like Visa and Runner and uh, even Dancing Smoke. Smoke. I mean, that track was like if I couldn't even think of how a composition of that track might even look like to be honest with you. But the making of it was insane. Um, but so and it's it's kind of that's that's the reward for me when I can kind of start something which is like okay this quite could be quite vast actually to sort of try and control all the elements and actually make it sort of um, in some way coherent do you know what I mean uh, but um, it was it was really enjoyable working on that one um, so yeah and it's 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 different sensations now, do you know what I mean? And it depends on the style of music that I'm making as well. Um, if I'm making something which is just like sort of kicks and bass and tones, then that's sort of much more sort of 
working with fewer elements and just gliding along. of being a producer and DJ is travelling and you were um, in the Congo several years ago with Damon Albarn and the DRC Kinshasa project. Uh, I heard a story how you um, left the camp but you weren't supposed to, you left the, the compound and went missing, I don't know if it was for a day or two and um, you're supposed to go and do a tune, I think everyone's supposed to go and do a tune in one day and you came back with um, this stick um, and into the compound everybody was doing their music, you came back with a stick. Um, any comments on that story, anything to elaborate on that story? You came back with a stick and you, went, and you were basically had to do your project in, in 24 hours, something like that. Is, that. is that right? I mean, time just did strange things in the Congo, to be honest with you. Um, Where did you go? Basically, I, I hooked up. When I, arrived into, when I arrived into the compound, I was very serious about everything. Do you know what I mean? I had my Zoom, had my Zoom mic, had, you know, I was tapping on things and, and recording stuff. I was ready for the day. And then, and then this crew arrived and uh, like quite a young crew. You know what I mean? Like obviously, I don't know, even know how, they, how they managed to get in. But there was a few of them. And uh, I basically decided to hang out with them for a little while. And we got chatting and stuff. and sat at a table and <clears throat> started having a smoke and stuff like that and that's where that's where it sort of diverted to be honest with you I ended up going into ended up going to their village and my French is terrible it's rubbish you know we were trying to communicate in this sort of like rubbish French and sort of this weird confusion but also being like really insanely high as well and um yeah, I just ended up hanging out with them and going to like their village and and then over time I found myself sort of in other people's houses and like just ch just chatting to random people and then playing football with some kids uh, and then at some point I had to get back. I realised I had to get back to actually make some music and. Um, I don't know, uh, I can remember, it's just going to sound so strange trying to communicate how it all ended up, but basically the stick was like, uh, it was like, a, uh, it was given to me. Um, have some, you got it still? Uh, yeah, I still have it. Um, uh, so yeah. Yeah, that that sort of. I mean, I got the tune made in the end. It was. It didn't take twenty four hours, and it was like 
you need to make it now, this sort of thing. So it doesn't work three hours. When you left the compound, how long how long were you away from the compound? Um, yeah, at least at least just under twenty four hours. <laughs> <laughs> it was a few hours. Yeah, it was a fair few hours. Incredible. So do you want to chat about your um, influence songs, tracks you've chosen, have influenced you? Um, yeah, I was listening listening to it on the way actually. It's um, it's a track that my dad always used to play. It's by the in crowd and it's called Back A Yard. And it's got like the vocal version and then the dub version, which is... And that song was a big influence just because I heard it all the time. and. Uh, uh, it's like my dad's yearning for Jamaican sort of thing. His sort of signature tune comes on. By my dad, it would, my mum would would always be playing uh, Audrey Hall, One Dance Won't Do. She would play that, me and her would dance.
like my dad was definitely more lover's rock. My mum was much more into that sort of lover's rock, and then she would get into like, um, yeah, obviously the more soul side of things with Dion Warwick. But then, like my dad would like would buy would buy records that contained like compilations that contained like some of the more sort of 80s stuff that he was sort of feeling, do you know what I mean? Which was a bit more commercial. And you'd, you'd hear things like Mr. Mix, Mr. Mr. Broken, Broken Wings and um, like Michael McDonald would, would be like getting on there. And um, I've been waiting for a girl like you to come into my, I can't remember what that tune's called. I've been waiting. Uh, oh yeah, there you go, Fana. You know, I'd start hearing these songs mixed in with like, all of a sudden mixed in with like Audrey Hall, and and then I'd go to like a family dance, and my cousin would be playing like. R&B. So I was getting a real mix of like, you know, loose ends. When loose ends started popping, you know, that and these the sort of chains that bring your whole family together and you're vibing off them hard. I remember when R. Kelly came on the scene, damn, my family went into overload and Jodeci and and things like this, Blackstreet, Teddy Riley, all these, you know, German German Lewis, Janet Jackson. It was just Michael Jackson. Um, Smokey Robinson, Marvin Gaye. I got a very, very privileged music upbringing, to be honest with you. Was your dad involved in, in the sound system? Yeah, he was involved in the sound system. Um, that's Jamaican, right? Yeah. My dad's a very functional guy, do you know what I mean? So he understands the function of music. But he like he just feels it, so he's and he's not the type of person who wants to like be traveling around with the sound system. He'll do it for like he'll do it for a time because that's when he's most tuned into it all, and then he'll go off and do what he he needs to do basically. So my dad's always been like that. But um, so yeah, he was he was in the sound, but it was mostly with just with his mates. So your very first actress, I think it was a live show, was at um, a hyperdub night. It was a hyperdub night at the ICA with um, Code 9, and you played live on a, I think it was on a Yamaha keyboard. 
Um, that was an Afrofuturist night, I believe. And we've spoken um, in the past about you kind of, at the moment, being sort of anti-Afrofuturist. Can you explain? I've never really liked tags, do you know what I mean? Because um, I think that, I think in some strange ways they can be kind of um, sort of corning, cornering you off into a sort of area. Do you know what I mean? And uh, to a certain point, it's like, to a certain point, it's cool. If it is genuinely considered an art form, and um, people like uh, Sun Ra, they call it jazz, right? They call it jazz, and it is jazz, but it's it's much more than that as well. Do you know what I mean? It came with, like, it came with a, 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 a philosophy which is comparable to a lot of the sort of philosophy that you would hear in the sort of Western is considered philosophy. And, uh, and, and, and I just can't help but feel that because it's given this sort of Afrofuturist tag that that's where it sort of remains. And I st- but I see Sunro as much, much, you know, Totally sort of outside of that. Um, both as a composer, as a as a visionary, um, as a sort of filmmaker, as a like um, storyteller, you know. Uh, and then, but then to continue that through different manifestations, manifestations of the same band, but just different names and sort of, you know. So that that's my issue with it. You actually straddle a few genres at once. When you first came out, they were calling you dubstep, oddly, oddly hadn't played your music. Um, you you um, had the concrete thing, techno, you've, you've um, delved in ambient music, you've kind of been spread across a few genres. Was that intentional? Yeah, because because I don't want to be penned, I don't want to be penned down into, into anything you know, it's about sort of keep maintaining my individuality, if you like. And the thing is, what well, I'm not, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I'm particularly academic. I'm not academic leaning naturally. Do you know what I mean? I just have a sort of like, um, <clears throat> I'm not stupid. You know, I, you know, I do have a brain, and you know. Uh, <clears throat> I am interested in things and and, and whatever, but uh, I just I'm not so interested in um, the the the, com- the conversation, if you like, in the way that it is at the moment. I'm much more sort of like uh, from a from a realistic perspective. You know what I mean? Um, that can be applied to sort of our own evolution as a generation more than anything else. Do you know what I mean? Just where the people that I grew up around, the, uh, the, 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 the place that I live, uh, you know, the people I have to communicate with, and, um, and the, the, the sort of, the, uh, the side of it where it becomes 
sort of discussed as something which, you know, I do find an interest in it, do you know what I mean? And that's where I like to keep myself at, really. Because um, I think that's the only way that I think I can stay quite genuine to sort of where I feel like I'm from. This is where I feel like I'm from, actually. You know, uh, and I like to keep I like to keep it that way. To be honest with you. Mostly known as a, a producer and an innovator, uh, but not much really known as a DJ. Even though you do DJ frequently all around the globe, um, are you really? I'm a great DJ. Oh, there you go. We're going to. <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> um, are you into the art of DJing, selecting and and digging? I've always loved DJing. Uh, like my mum, I, I was in the garage basically as soon as I got my turntables, and I was just banging the house down you know, in the garage, bang it down. Bless my mom, but you know, at the end of the day, that's like, I just found such sort of like direct, expressionary sort of release from from, from DJing. And, uh, and that's why I love it so much. And it does really genuinely just come from a love perspective. You know, I don't really want to be a D, uh, out there sort of DJing as like a, direct living like I have to promote myself because I'm a DJ you know that's not of no interest whatsoever but because I can DJ and because um, DJing is the single the first single thing that really um, influenced like the start the style of music that I wanted to make uh, that's kind of why uh, I like doing it. What's your DJing style because I've heard you I've seen you play so many times and they're always different, always different. I've seen you play disco at festivals. I've heard you play beatless sets. I've heard you play reggae um, at Berghain. What is your DJing style, would you say? Because you can't, I can't really pin it down. I mean, I t it just depends, really. Like, I'll go through a phase where I'll just want to play, like, um, kind of mainly current records in, in the sort of techno sort of way. And then I'll go through periods where I'll sort of want to play a bit more sort of, like, a bit more urgent, aggressive, but they tend to be sort of old style tunes like Frankie, uh, Frankie Bones and this sort of this sort of like uh, wild style techno and stuff like that. Um, but it, when I'm in that mood, it tends to get mixed up with sort of like uh, maybe a bit of basic channel and um, maybe even a bit of um, like grime sometimes. To be honest with you. Um, and then, and then I'll have periods where I'm actually in, in a bit more of a sort of like deep, deep house techno sort of vibe, you know what I mean? So, 
it really does it really and I, I do genuinely sort of check out to see like what what the party might be or whatever but um i just generally like to play just good records good up through records um i mean I played um trans party at Evan Evan Price's trans party and to be honest with you I just played I had to play my set mostly at just like plus 45 and that was great as well you know what I mean just to hear these tunes like really sped up and uh, just to try to in some way sort of work with the, the sort of trance concept so uh, I just it's just that flexibility in tunes that, that I like and you play records still right yeah not on CDJs yet, or you're not really into that? I have no idea how to DJ on CDJs. <laughs> that would be a bad set, I think. about uh, getting back in the studio let's talk about um, a thing called chaos magic theory which is a term actually which I first heard coming from you and it's something which you've used um, a lot in, in the creation of Aziz can you explain what that is and how you use chaos magic theory uh, I don't I, I don't really I, d I don't think I use it but you're aware of it Oh yeah, I'm definitely aware of it. It's like it's like it's another one of these things that is uh, that comes across and like gets into gets into into my interest. But it, I, most of it comes when when you're sort of in the studio, and these things you have got these little phenomenons happening sort of like all the time, sort of thing. And um, uh, and then something in nature will just happen, and. Uh, that's kind of sort of pushing in that sort of chaos, sort of uh, chaos magic sort of um, zone. And I just remember writing writing one of the tunes on there and just having written down all the sort of the the, the notes and and how, and and sort of some of the composition and some of the titles and stuff like that. I'd left my notebook sort of on on the window ledge and sort of continued working. Uh, and came back to it, and like just my ink had just like it rained, like only for like a small amount of time, but it rained, and like the, all the raindrops were on my, my notepad, and I didn't notice it until it had dried out, and like that chaos rain was like written as the title and stuff like this, and it's just those sort of like quite magical moments that that occur out of all the chaos. So you mentioned that you actually write things down when you're composing. You actually, you've got a notepad, and I've, I've seen before you have these um, these pads with these squares across it, and you're kind of jotting down. I'm not sure if they're patterns. I'm not sure what they are. Some, some form of notation. 
In the modern age of computers and sequencers, why are you still writing things down? That's a good question. Um, because it keeps me functional, uh, and there has to be some level of routine. Do you know what I mean? So, like, you go to school, you know what you're going to be doing first thing in the morning. You're probably going to be, uh, uh, if you've got, you know, you're going to be using the pencil for this class. You're going to be using the fountain pen for this class. You might have to use a biro for this class. You're going to have to write a certain way for this. You're going to have to work this out for this. You're going to have to draw this shape for this. And you're going to... For me, those are just the very basic things that you have to do every day. Do you know what I mean? Just to sort of be um, functional. And that's why, for me, it's important to write things down and write um, because the music is chaotic. You know, the music is born out of chaos, and uh, and so uh, the that sort of the diction of it or the explanation of what the chaos is has to be for me written down and f followed as a sort of general pattern throughout the whole process. Um, and whether that, you know, that sort of slides between sort of composition to sort of writing tracks that I hear on the radio down, you know, pulling over, stopping and pulling over quickly in the road, do you know what I mean? Just like I was causing the, so I could like get my mobile phone out and shazam like what's just come up on the radio, write it down and then sort of like indicate and get on my, get on my way again. That happens regularly. Um, so, and then it just means that I can sort of go back and know that I've almost like recorded my movements throughout the day and that I can come back to it at different times during. And it may never be on that particular day. It may be like, it could be a year down the line where I see something that I'd written and it, at that particular time, it's been the trigger for like the next idea or whatever idea it's going, it's going to be. You're a big fan of, um, of samples and found sound. And you mentioned in one of the tracks on Azid, there's um, a sample from a pirate station, which you can't really hear. It's buried so deep within, but you told me it's of um, it could be a rave tune on a pirate station. How um, deep are you into sampling? Um, it depends. Again, it depends. Like, I, d I don't like wake up in the morning and just turn on the the the, 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 that, the recording machine to still sort of pick up stuff. Oh yeah, of course. Do you know what I mean? Or um, or I don't really go out with the intention of finding a record that contains this or that. It's much more sporadic than that. Um, and it usually is as a result of a period of listening to, to, to records and working at the same time. So like intermittently I'll work and then I'll listen to some stuff just to chill for a little bit and I'll work. And, Sorry, then I uh, then I work and then um, uh, you know um, I might just do something um, completely different, like um, but in the process maybe. So just like um, 
either write some stuff down or, or decide that I need to change some like cables, cables at the back. So again, I'll have I'll have music sort of just just playing, and I guess just because of the way that I work, sampling. Um, uh, sort of sampling potential sampling just sort of arrives at certain times and I make a very con make a very sort of and then I have to make a decision as to whether I'm going to use it or not and that decision can be based on like a, a few things am I going to be changing the sample enough um, is it too recognizable um, is it um, like um, uh, How do I want? How do I want to sort of put it in? Do I want to leave it in the computer and let it sort of appear um, as part of a system, or do I actually want to put it on a drum machine and actually play with it and and and, and do something with it? And usually, those those sort of decisions usually come where a track might already be at a point where it's kind of good to go. Do you know what I mean? And then it's just like. Does it change? Does it change the dynamic of the track if I use it or not? Um, so I, I do actually make quite a lot of um, um, sort of decisions about samples. It's never just a chuck sample in or anything like that. Play video games? Uh, not really, to be honest with you. I kind of stopped gaming when um, when I just got became more interested in other things. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so I, ne I never, I was never sort of that student in the living room with a lot of mates getting stoned playing, yeah. playing computer games or chat manager never got into oh yeah I definitely got into that but yeah. it was much more into my in my own sort of like zone do you know okay. what I mean um, so yeah I kind of stopped playing computer games properly like um, so yeah after really after cassettes and stuff like that I mean oh, wow. I got an Amiga and stuff like and got an Amiga and so I kind of continued it on that but I never really went down the, the Nintendo PlayStation, PlayStation oh, okay. until I went from Game Boy to, and then that was it. Wow, you ended at Game Boy. I so kind of ended at Game no Boy. Super Nintendo. Or no, no, no Super Nintendo. Right. Didn't That's have pretty early. That. Yeah, didn't have didn't have the Super Nintendo, uh, and I got a PlayStation like really recently, maybe like three or four years ago, or something like this, and. Um, before then, I had a Wii, you know. So I kind of like, I kind, you know. Uh, it, for me, it was mainly the platform games. I, you know, I was. I kind of liked. In, I like watching a lot of the more sort of like really modern. You know, I played Grand Theft Auto a little bit. And, uh, I watched that it's like a movie. It's deep. Yeah. I can't really play it, but I got friends who play it. I could just watch. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? So I got different. I got different things. 
got different things out of it, but I wasn't. I'm not really. I'm not really a gamer like that. I like making music that sort of could be attached to it, but uh, I'm not really a gamer myself. You've made a lot of kind of game music anyway. There's the EP which came out. You put out Harry Attack, the kind of ode to the old um, video game on the Commodore back in the day. Uh, yeah, I mean that was um, to be honest with you, it was the um, that was the Amstrad. But um, most most of the sort of computer influenced games like. Uh, music that I make is mostly sort of in homage to to the Amstrad 464. Um, There's even um, interlude parts on Splash, which has video game bleeps, and and which kind of echoes that um, generation. Um, Maze as well, I think, contains uh, a couple of things. <laughs> keep making music I guess the thing that drives me is just that I like mastering things do you know what I mean and uh, where the starting point seems really sort of like a big hill and progressively through just figuring things out and and you know working and understanding different things you start to you start to grasp it and for me when you start to grasp something and you start to overcome the, the initial problems that's when something's really rewarding and so that's really sort of what drives me on still do you know what I mean um, and yeah I'd, I like to I like to go from one thing to another and see the evolution of that changing and seeing you know how I'm changing as an artist as well uh, and how much I'm prepared to continue challenge myself in terms of the music that I make so that's that's the driving force. Yeah. And you moved to London. You moved here in 1999. What were you first doing when you came to London? Uh, I should have been studying, uh, but when I first came to London, um, my my course hadn't hadn't quite started. So there was at least a three month period where I was just here as like a, a newbie, um, and. I was living with my cousin, but I hadn't really made any mates or anything like that, and I was pretty much keeping myself to myself. So it was probably the only time in London where I've travelled around as a sort of like looked around like this and just. Um, I didn't have a computer at that time, but um, I was I was just it was just me and my my me and my groove box and my turntables, uh, and then um, <clears throat> so it was mainly just the routine of just being on the groove box and making, making music or at least making ideas and, and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, also just sort of walking around at night and like uh, picking, soaking up the atmosphere, like Brixton was a different place at, at that time and I liked to just sort of like, like get out and sort of uh, take in, take in the, the neighbourhood. Um, 
Um, so yeah, a lot of night walking. I wasn't going out so much then actually. So, you know what I mean? by um, Malcolm Gladwell, which is called um, Outliers, and it says in the book, to really uh, be a master of anything, you spend 10,000 hours at your task. So do you think you spent 10,000 hours, at least, in the studio making music throughout the years? Easily. Um, my God. A lot of hours, man, a lot of hours spent in the studio. And this was even, you know, yeah, all the time, all the time. I mean, there there's definitely has been periods where um, I've not, I've either got myself to the point, mostly when I was at university, where I, um, I couldn't, like, I just spend my, um, every time my uh, student loan cash came, I used, to, I, there used to be this vintage um, synthesizer shop in, music store in, in Brixton on Acre Lane. And I just couldn't help it, but every time uh, money landed, I used to go there and just the vin they used to have so much cool like vintage synthesizers, and I just ended up like spending like my entire student loan on like this ridiculous vintage synthesizer, <laughs> and like like getting no sounds out of it, but like or not knowing what to do with it, do you know what I mean? Not really even knowing what like CV was, but just playing it and just changing, changing the knobs and stuff like that. And then realize that the university was like threatening to kick me out if I didn't like, so I had to sort of sell it back, <laughs> sell it back to the guy to like get like just over half. At a loss. At a loss, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Just to at least, you know, uh, pay some of my, pay some of my uh, tuition fees. I did that. That was pretty much, um, uh, that was pretty much where my money was going to be honest with you. But yeah, like I said, I had, there was um, periods, um, even though I do have been, would say I've invested a lot of time in making music, there's also been periods where I've like not, had any gear at all so I've not been able to make any music what were you doing then then we're kind of thinking about music were you thinking about it rather than actually making it or were you thinking of when you had a drum machine or a sampler what you would do were you writing things down at that point no paper? I, it was it was a time actually when I just got quite bored with what, with what I was working with and there was no real um, I did have a computer you know I got a computer eventually but there was no there was no software that I was really interested in and I started playing around with a, uh, a program called Peak, uh, Peak Bias, which is just like a, a sound editing program. And I just used to, you know, my G3 or whatever it was at the time, just had an input on it and I used to record sounds and just used to sort of build compositions in Peak, literally just by like pulling around different uh, sound waves. But I, I definitely felt like at the time there was there was a program that just wasn't for me for making music, so I just thought less about it. And 
um, more focused on uh, uh, like I was working in like um, as like a as like a sound assistant and then junior, junior sort of audio editor in like post production. So I was moving into sort of TV and stuff like this. Um, so when you were bored, when you were bored, what were you? Um, was that after your first release or before your mentor No Tricks? Um, it would have been before even. It would have been before I put anything out. Yeah, I mean, I did. I did actually do a record that I um, pressed up myself, but I only got an acetate done, uh, and it was at um, it was two tracks. One was Ghost Ghost of a Heaven, and the other is a track which has been lost. That's your first ever thing you put. You've that's, that's the first thing I ever like put onto a mini disc and took it to this place in in Brixton. It used to be on um, it also used to be on uh, on Acre Lane next to uh, the McDonald's. It used to oh no no it used to be a bit further down actually. It used to be um, by um, Moby Dick's chip shop around there and used to be upstairs. It used to be a reggae shop so that shop there and I got got a ten inch cut there. Of Ghosts of Heaven and and, and another track, and uh, I think I might have got two done, two like test pressings, and I, maybe even one. Put it on Discogs, you know that I go for on no, Discogs. No, I don't have it anymore. <laughs> don't have it. I, sent, I'm, I sent the only one that I had to to uh, to Underground Resistance because I thought it was good enough to to be put out on like Underground Resistance. Uh, so Mad Mike's label. got it somewhere. That's the address it was sent to. It was sent to Submerge. <laughs> So that's if if it exists, it's it's in Detroit somewhere. Wow, sick. Providing like Royal Mail did their job, <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Uh, so. so yeah. That was Actress, interviewed by Dean Bryce. And now we turn our attention to some of the new releases coming out on the Ninja Tune family of labels. We start with Kai Whiston and a track called Throat Behaviour, coming out on Big Dada. with Throat Behaviour from his Fisher-Price EP. Next, it's Nathan Fake and a track called Bosky from his Providence Reworks Part 1 single. Mm-hmm. 
Nathan Fake with Bosky coming out on Ninja Tune. Up next, it's Bicep with Glue from their forthcoming self-titled album. Bicep with Glue coming out on Ninja Tune. Next, it's Jordan Rakai and a track called Nerve on Ninja Tune. with nerve and finally it's james heather with a track called last minute change of heart coming out on ahead of our time
was James Heather with Last Minute Change of Heart, taken from his forthcoming album on Ahead of Our Time. That's it for the Ninja Tune podcast. Our thanks to actress and Dean Bryce for interviewing, and we'll be back with another edition soon.